Hello and welcome to Third Sector Insights, the knowledge and learning podcast from the National Lottery Community Fund. I'm Josh Coles-Riley and I work for the fund in the knowledge and learning team. We've created Third Sector Insights to give a platform to organisations funded by the National Lottery Community Fund to share the knowledge and insight they've gained through their projects. Each episode, you'll hear directly from third sector leaders, project staff, volunteers and the people and communities they support. We'll talk to them about their projects and the difference our funding makes and about key lessons, challenges, mistakes and successes. Basically, any learning that might be helpful to other groups and organisations seeking to make a difference in their communities. Each episode will focus on a different topic, an area of special interest or maybe a challenge or experience that lots of third sector organisations have in common. We don't want this podcast to be about us as a funder giving our position or saying this is the view of the National Lottery Community Fund on X. Instead, Third Sector Insights, and the clues in the name, is about drawing out the wealth of insights, wisdom and experience our grant holders are gaining through the projects we fund. On this episode, we'll be speaking with a project that received 1 million of National Lottery funding through our Community Asset Transfer Programme, which provided revenue and capital funding to support the transfer of assets such as land or buildings into community ownership. We'll speak with the project about how they're engaging with their local community to create a truly people-led community asset. On this episode today, uh, we're sheltering in a bandstand in Grange Gardens in Grangetown in Cardiff. And behind us is quite a substantial uh, building site, essentially. And whatever it might look like at first glance, the building taking shape here is very different from the kind of commercial property development we're increasingly seeing across the city. A big part of that difference is the development happening here is led by the community in quite a profound way, which is what we're really interested in hearing about today. So first I'd like to introduce the people I've come to speak to today. So I'm here with Lynn, Deborah, Ash and Ali, um, who are all from the Grange Pavilion Project. Do you want to just uh, quickly introduce yourselves? Um, hi, I'm Lynn Thomas. Uh, I work for Cardiff University as the Community Gateway Project Manager. Um, I joined the project in 2015 and very quickly became involved with the Grange Pavilion. I'm Deborah, Deborah Gary jones I'm a resident in a nearby street. I'm on the board and I'm also doing some activities with community around the building site. I'm Ash Lister, I'm one of the three local councillors in the area and I'm also co-chair of Grangetown Community Action, which is a partner in the Grange Pavilion project. And I'm Ali Abdi, I'm the Community Gateway uh, Facilities at Parishes Manager uh, and likely I'm employed at Cardiff University uh, and I also in Grangetown. Awesome, okay. So obviously we're here today to talk about the Grange Pavilion project. In a nutshell, what's the project all about? So, in a nutshell, which is going to be quite difficult, um, the project is the redevelopment of an old bowls pavilion which uh, unfortunately became disused after the bowls club fought for a number of years to keep it going but eventually folded um, and a couple of residents were looking for a space where you could just have a cup of coffee uh, just to get that in there for Richard <laughs> and um, they were looking for a space where you could have a cup of coffee but also a space which could be used by the community for educational uh, sessions, other kind of community groups. Um, so initially it was looked at at the old caretaker's house uh, on Grange Primary School uh, but unfortunately that was sold for development but now um, we actually moved on to the Grange Pavilion uh, Bowls Pavilion and it was a community asset transfer from the council as part of uh, their strategy of divesting assets um, and I think really once we opened it up in 2014 for the Grangetown Festival. Very temporarily in 2014. Very temporarily, um, but I think the community just sparked the love for it uh, and they just saw absolute potential in the space and wanted to get involved. So that's when 
Um, Grange Pavilion started working with Cardiff University's Community Gateway, Grange Community Action and other uh, partners in the area to actually look at what we could do with the building and that's when we decided to take the massive jump and go for glossary funding to redevelop the whole site. Uh, I'm kind of wishing today that we still are part of a building so we weren't stood in the bandstand in case it rains but you know <laughs> it's definitely coming on and it's an absolute mammoth compared to what it used to be but extremely exciting. Awesome, awesome, okay. So just to rewind a little bit then, I know that the development that's happening here has been quite a long time in the making. When I was reading the, about the project, I was really struck by a line about how it, it kind of grew out of a chat in a bus stop. Could someone tell me a bit more about that? So the academic lead of Community Gateway, Mari McVicker, is a former Grangetown resident. And the thing about the park, you know, you, you say we w you wish we had a building and we were stood in it. This bandstand is the central point of this park. And this park is the crossroads. And people, you know, walk through the park to take their kids to school. They walk through the park to get to the Taff Embankment and walk up the Taff Trail to, into work. They, they walk across the park to see their friends. They walk their dogs in the park. You know, the kids play in the park. It's such a community hub and a community focus and a natural convergence point and meeting point and so what do you do when you meet somebody you have a chat and um, people would be in the park having chats and Mari would be um, had a conversation in 2012 with local resident Richard Powell who used to live just there within sight of the the Grange Pavilion and they were chatting well Richard was chatting about his idea of having somewhere very close to the park where people could go have a cup of coffee continue their discussions because what was happening these, all these great discussions were, ha were taking place and all these brilliant ideas were sparking and then the heavens would open and everyone would have to go home because there's not that much room in the bandstand. Or somebody would need the loo or somebody would be a kid, uh, one of their children would be thirsty and they would have to go and get a drink somewhere. So it, the whole idea was about having somewhere in the park where these c conversations could continue and that's how it started. Brilliant, okay. So, so from that initial conversation and that idea, what, seven years ago now? Yeah, 2012. How, how, did, how did we get from that to where we are today? I, I moved here quite recently, so I don't think I know the history as thoroughly as everybody else, but that might be an advantage. Uh, my sense of it is that there was a small cluster of people who came together to create Grange Pavilion Project, yeah. and that was a, pr uh, a group of people, including Richard Powell and other local residents, talking about this idea about what can we do if we've got the pavilion and uh, what might people want here and then over a period of time that group combined with the university and with Grange Community Action and so it gradually grew with having these different partnerships and also continuously having conversations about what do we want what can it be and how can we do that yeah and I, I think <coughs> the initial conversations which were had um, about using the caretaker's house I think it was councillor Thorne Linda Thorne that actually pointed the direction and said but actually that bowls pavilion is still disused no one's going to be going back there do you want to have a look at that um, and, and um, very fortuitously mm. um, and it was synergy I think Community Gateway launched in 2014 as one of yeah. Cardiff University's flagship engagement projects focused specifically on the, the um, geographical ward of Grangetown and just when the pavilion, Grange Pavilion project was assembled and started to, you know, to, to be to be able to move the project forward, Community Gateway launched. Yeah. And the, the university has a lot of resource. And what you've got to remember is people on the board, they're volunteers, they have full-time jobs. This is a community-led project led by volunteers. 
um, and for the university to be able to come in as asset guardians, as partners, as an administrative resource is hugely significant. I take my hat off to any community group who does this purely through their volunteers. It's, it's astonishing. So Community Gateway launched, Grange Pavilion project got rolling, the two kind of converged again, um, conversations were had, partnership agreements were signed, Grangetown Community Action came on board and we, we suddenly had substance. We had people, we had skills, we had resource, capacity and the dialogue between the, the council and Lottery Fund started to happen. Um, and everyone was really encouraging. Richard Powell, if he was here, would say, the reason this is happening now is because nobody said no. Nobody stopped us, we just kept going. Yeah, <laughs> and we're still keeping on going. But I think one of the important things with that as well, Lynn, is um, the fact that everyone got behind that vision, didn't they? Yeah. Of having somewhere central in the park where you could come and have a cup of coffee, where you could do other things as well. You know, when we trialed the coffee shop for probably- Two years. Two years? Probably, yeah. You know, just the different faces you saw going into that coffee shop and asking what was happening, how can I get involved, who can I book this space out, what's the long-term plan. It was just amazing to see people who had never actually engaged with us as a project using the building and seeing, okay, this is something I could use in the future. I can be in here, I can do this in here. Um, and I think that's really been quite special from having the building open. As it feels like <clears throat> lots of different experiments were received positively by people. So another really key aspect of this place has been the old bowling green itself. Is was a square of grass with a surrounding area of grass, which was used regularly by dog walkers, but also young people and other people would come to find a place in the park which was just a bit an outdoor space, just a bit quieter than some of the rest of the space. And it was used as a test bed for doing community allotments. Yeah. And that was really positively received yeah. as well. Um, so it was a convergence of different things, but each of them being received positively. Yeah, definitely. So I just, uh, I just want to quickly ask each of you what your involvement in the project has been. Do you, do you want to start, Ali? Yeah, sure. <coughs> when I first got involved with the project, uh, I wasn't employed by the university. I was a local resident, uh, but I was very active working in other other roles, uh, particularly young people, uh, and I was really excited to hear of the university coming to Grangetown, uh, but also sceptical at the same time because, you know, Grangetown particularly has had a lot of organisations and, and institutions come and then they don't really embed themselves and do much here, uh, and then, you know, they'll get their outcomes and they'll have to leave, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's really short term. But yeah, an opportunity then came up to, to be employed by the university, to uh, do a lot of partnership work and get wider communities involved. Uh, and I went for that opportunity, and I was uh, glad to, you know, be successful in there and be doing that now. Uh, and yeah, it's been fantastic to really have the university embedded in the community. Uh, young people can now, um, you know, resonate with the university, you know, and, and feel like actually the university is for them. Where before they might have just seen it as some ivory tower, they're not really interested in their own community in Grangetown. Uh, but yeah, it's made such a huge difference, and uh, just really glad to be part of it. Awesome. We had um, a two-year pilot where we properly, we, we, we spent some money renovating the building, we opened the shutters, we, we tried to keep the building open as much as possible and Ali used to hold an open day on a Monday and I used to hold it on a Friday and it was incredible. Just by having the shutters up, the, the magical things that happened in that building. Um, and when I was in there on a Friday, all the questions I got was, where's Ali Abdi? So <laughs> I've been there and I, all the community members would be coming in for their cup of coffee and ask him where Ali was because Ali is such a motivator and, and um, such a connector in Grangetown and that by having a physical hub for everyone, not just you know the University of Grange Pavilion project or Grangetown Community Action, but for everyone in Grangetown 
to have somewhere that's theirs. This is the special thing about the project is it's you know there's no political affiliation, there's no religious affiliation. It's going to be accessible for all, uh, and everyone feels like it's theirs. It's it's totally the opposite of an ivory tower. It's something that belongs in Grangetown and to Grangetown. Um, and yeah, the open days That's been crucial, yeah. were just beautiful, funny, sometimes stressful because <laughs> the amount of people just we had just walking through the door, which is why we've now hired a full-time manager, which is lottery funded and amazing. So if you started on Monday, hello Sophie. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but but Ali and I used to hold these open days in the pavilion, and it was just a joy to see how the people in Grangetown embraced having that building as somewhere that they recognised could be theirs to <coughs> use for, for the wider community benefit. Okay. Deborah, do you want to tell us how, how you got involved with what your involvement uh, has I, been? I first got involved with doing some of the gardening. There was a regular session on a Sunday for a while, which was led by Ellen Roberts, a previous resident, um, and a few of us would do, about for about two summers, we did some fairly good vegetable growing, um, done on the principle of plant it and then help yourself when it's ready. Um, and then also, I'm, a, I'm an artist, I do uh, community arts projects, and so I've currently been involved in doing things around the hoardings while the building site's up because we want to find ways to continue the conversations. Uh, yeah, I noticed so some really beautiful portraits all around the, the hoardings around the building site. Yeah, so, that, so that's, 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 I organised two local artists, Jane Hubbard and Paul Edwards, to do portraits of local residents, construction site workers and whoever else we came across in the park over two days and they've been printed, scanned and printed up and put up onto the hoardings. Oh, lovely as another way of keeping conversations going. And, and Ash, do you want to just quickly um, yeah. tell us so, about um, your I, I first got involved with the project when uh, Richard Powell, that we've mentioned, came to me when I was Secretary of Grangetown Community Action and said, we want to open up the Bulls Pavilion as part of Grangetown Festival. Can you help us? Um, so we organise an annual festival every year in this park. And I think just by adding the pavilion to it, you know, we always had the struggle of, we've got no toilets, we can't hire them in. It was a perfect opportunity that year to actually say, okay, pavilion's going to be open, let's get that open for some activity, but also you've got the added benefit of if people need to use the toilet, there's somewhere for them to go. Um, so, you know, it's that, that basic necessity. But having that conversation with Richard, sat in his kitchen just over there, he talked to me about the project, and I was like, okay, this is something Grangetown Community Action could get involved in. And so we became partners um, when my grandfather was chair of Grangetown Community Action. He signed a partnership agreement, and then... When I became chair after he passed away, I've carried on ever since uh, and done as much as I can as a local councillor as well to support the project going forward. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey over the last five years for me. So I'm going to pick up on a couple of things that, that you've all been saying. One of, um, I've heard a lot about, like, convergence, things coming together, fortuitousness. That's really interesting. And, Deborah, I think you used the word experiments. I guess over the last seven years in this, this kind of evolving project, you must have all been learning absolutely tons. How are you keeping track of that, if you are, and can you give me some examples of some of the things that you've learned? I think there's two things that spring to mind for me. I don't know how we're keeping track of them, but two <laughs> things that have come up that are particularly interesting is, um, well, maybe three. Um, one is that um, there's a real danger from visiting other projects, and you can probably remind me which ones in particular, people on the board have been aware of other projects experiencing the volunteers and board members experiencing burnout and that there's a certain kind of it's really easy to get to that danger place where you have put so much in and it's 
it's really demanding and uh, it gives a lot back and I get really excited by it but it's also really demanding particularly somehow for me because it's my where I actually live it feels like it takes it affects me more because I do a lot of community work with different people in different places but this somehow just is magnified because it's my where I live so it's more personal I suppose and so um, we try with the board I would say to do as much as we can to be sociable and friendly with each other and I've appointed myself as on the board as being specially responsible for being friendly to each other I don't know how much we get time to actually do that it's really easy for it to slip off the agenda but it feels to me like because we are and we will be facing all sorts of stresses it's really important for us to stay as people and friends with each other so that we can deal with the stresses when they occur the other thing that I would say is that any place like this, any situation like this, in any neighbourhood, any real life situation, there's going to be dissent and people are going to be cross and react to change and just react to anything which includes money and power, which is what a building is in a way, isn't it? And there's all sorts of different ways in which we've had little tiny bits of people letting us know, for example, if it feels like it's being done by some, not them or that it's excluding people. And I think there's, there's no way that we're going to avoid that absolutely, but it feels really important that our response to that so far has been, I think, it's been, please come in and talk with us about that, rather than trying to defend ourselves and say no or explain the whole story, because it's a long history and it's easy to lose track of the history. It feels important to be doing the history. That's another thing which we started doing now, isn't it? finding a way of tracking the history so that we can have that record. So including the grit feels really important, although it's not easy and it's always going to be quite difficult, but including the grit and having those voices, as many voices as possible, around the table. Yeah, I think one thing I've learned, um, which has definitely taught me quite a bit, is that no matter how much information you put out there, there's always going to be someone that doesn't know, or someone yeah. that says, oh, I've never seen that. Yeah. And I think over the years where suddenly um, we've got a brand new 3G pitch. Oh, it's all Cardiff University's fault. It's all Cardiff University's <laughs> fault. They came into the park, they've supported residents with the new building. They've now taken away our free area. Actually, no, it was a gift from UEFA to the council uh, for the area. So, you know, just those little myth busters, I think, have been really difficult. And again, was it this year or last year? Last year, when the, uh, the council applied to put the park in trust so that nothing can ever be done with it outside of this development because there's a lease. Um, straight away it was oh my god the council is selling off the park the council is selling off the park it must be something to do with the pavilion it must be houses to do with the pavilion it's like right okay how do we do this myth busting because we've done door to doors with leaflets and flyers we've had open events asking people to come in loads of stuff on the internet and Grangetown News has an article on Grange Pavilion every single time probably for the last three years but still people don't know Uh, so I think communication is literally key um, to making a project like this a success but I don't think you can ever inform everyone mm. there's some really nice lessons there and some really nice sort of wisdom about accepting what you can't change and, and sort of facing what you can Ali what have, what have you learned through your involvement in the project yeah you know so although like I said I'm a resident as well I'm always learning to be honest and yes before I got into the job you know, I, I had relationships with lots of organisations and leaders in those communities and I think the key is, is just constantly keep them informed. Like Ashley said, you know, there's always that misconception of what's going on. But I think, you know, build those relationships, strengthen those relationships, invite them to events, activities, 
and even if they can come, if they can recommend somebody else to come. So that open dialogue, the transparency, uh, we're on social media, uh, on Facebook and Twitter, and we're constantly updating and sharing our activities, uh, small ones, big ones. Uh, and yeah, you know, like I said, we're always going to miss some people out. Uh, and we do try to evaluate and identify, okay, who are, who have we missed out, which parts of Graves are missing, and then we'll try and maybe even do some um, cohorted uh, advertising in those areas even, or identify people further to get involved. But I think we've done fantastically well as a, as a group and as a community. Uh, you know, we've got an advisory panel where local schools uh, sit on and we, we constantly ask them how they would like to benefit from the project. And we bring people from the university into the community to see how they can also utilize those relationships. So honestly, I couldn't see it gone as well as it has. Really. And yeah, just seeing this large building now, it's, it's, yeah, it's really exciting to see. What is the long-term vision for the building? And uh, what, what sort of role do you do you expect it to play in the community life of Grangetown? So the really short thing is this needs to be for everyone. So that's yeah. that's my really, really simple version. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, during the conversations and, uh, and the research to see what we can create, and we were asking various communities, and recognising, you know, Grangetown has some fantastic, uh, you know, faith groups from you know, the Hindu community, there are Christian church churches, there's uh, the, the Muslim faith is celebrated here, and so, yeah, and people are no faith too. And in fact, to have a neutral building yeah. that bring all these communities together has always been at the forefront um, of our conversations. Uh, yeah, and I'm really just excited to see that happen because often your own spaces, uh, whether it's the pub or the, or, the, or the faith places, you only get those people who are associated with those yeah. clubs or associations. When you've got a, a neutral venue, it really does say everybody is welcome. And we really, you know, when it is opened, uh, you know, when our great familiar manager got a big task on her hand, Sophie, <laughs> to really make sure that happens. But, you know, we'll work closely with her and I'm sure the community will support her in that process. But it says on our, our lovely new information boards in, I think, seven or eight different languages, our new Grange Pavilion opening early 2020. And, you know, reflecting the diversity of Grangetown, we have Welsh, English, Polish, Czech, um, Urdu, Arabic and Somali. So when the building does open its doors in 2020, what are the plans for sort of keeping it going and sustainable uh, once it's opened its doors? So we have a business plan, we have a projected um, revenue income um, generated through room hire, we have different rates for private hire, we have a charity rate and then a percentage of the hire will be absolutely free to members of the community who are developing activities that will benefit the wider community and they're not charging for it. So anyone with an idea for a project where people from Grangetown can, can take part and join in for free and benefit from that activity, they can have the room hire for free. And then there will be a community focused cafe which will um, eventually <laughs> start generating <laughs> income that we will profit from as well. And we will continue to fundraise in the community look for donations. We will be applying for grants for project-based activities once the building's open. We have a million and one ideas on what we want to do. The garden as well, we're looking at, at some um, horticulture training, biodiversity training that could generate an income. Um, and we're a bunch of very creative people who have spent the last three years 
knee deep in fundraising actually year deep in fundraising <laughs> and we've kind of got the bug now um and every time somebody new joins us like sophie's come in this week and already she's engaged with the community member who's going to put on a coffee morning for us um and generate funds that way so we have a financial plan we have a business plan we have a projected revenue stream but we also are very aware that we we can't rest on our laurels we, we need to continue to fundraise, to continue to be creative and maximise every opportunity that the three rooms, the cafe and the grounds will give us to generate an income. The focus of the episode, and I think it's come through a lot in what you've already said, is putting people in the lead, which is one of our priorities in the National Lottery Community Fund. That's associated with a concept that you talk about, which is co-production, and you talk about how you're co-producing a community facility. Can I just ask, first of all, what do you mean by co-production uh, and how have you gone about doing it? Just quickly, co-production is the, the bedrock of Community Gateway and it means that no project, every project has to have a community lead and a university lead yeah. um, and they should be for mutual benefit. So basically those are the principles by which we abide when we consider projects. When I first got involved with Community Gateway back in 2014, there were nine things that Community Gateway wanted to focus on from uh, greener areas, cleaner streets, communication without barriers. The themes have been set, but there were no actual projects there. So I think from the discussions we had on that day, trying to identify a community lead, I actually got told off for putting my hand up so many times um, by the former uh, project manager, Rosie. And I think just that idea that, okay, there is going to be an academic lead to make sure that the university has some input and gets some benefit out of it, but it's also got the community to lead to say, well, actually, this is what I think we need in the community from the people I speak to. Um, so that's why we developed Safety Week, and we're going into our fourth or fifth, fifth year, fifth year of Safety Week, where we engage uh, different partners from South Wales Police, Welsh Ambulance Trust, Fire. South Wales Fire and Rescue, St John's Ambulance, Crime Stoppers, and Cardiff University doing some research into crime in the area and how it's perceived. But all of that has had a community lead throughout, which has been myself, but also other you know, young people getting involved through the youth forum. So there's always been that mutual benefit and that mutual partnership of if it doesn't benefit me as a resident, we're not going to do it. And the university, if it doesn't benefit us, we need to find a way for it to benefit. And there's always been those conversations to say, yeah. how can we make this work? There's never been a no. A great example of um, co-production. We brought people together for, a, I think it was our first Love Grangetown event, and uh, Moss Solman, a local resident, said, I'd really like to have a, like a cafe where we can talk about deep things and have an ideas cafe, you know, where we can f- talk philosophy. And sat next to him yeah. was Hugh Williams, who is a Grangetown <laughs> resident, and just so happens to be the uh, philosophy lecturer in Cardiff University <laughs> so they both initiated the philosophy cafe Pretty and you know friendly. that's been held in various locations around Grangetown talking about you know do animals have morals what's a good life talking about you know a, a diverse community topics that that I don't know it's, it it's difficult sometimes to tackle them or you wouldn't necessarily have a conversation around them and you know loads of different people came to the philosophy cafe and had conversations that they they would never imagine themselves having and thinking thoughts that they wouldn't have had and it was just a wonderful you know synergistic thing to see actually it was brilliant brilliant yeah i i always really like hearing how those kind of organic unexpected things come out of co-production. Co-production is a bit of a buzzword at the moment and it's something a lot of public bodies are talking about 
at the National Lottery Community Fund we talk about a related idea which is the importance of putting people in the lead. So obviously we think that's something that's essential in projects but we also know that it can be quite hard. How would you describe your experiences of working on a people-led project and what lessons do you draw from that? I think Deborah's made some really good points about the burnout elements and I think over the seven years naturally we have seen people who have stepped away um, either personal reasons um, of moving out of the area or just struggling to keep up with the demand of trying to get a charity up and running and trying to get a brand new building. You know, it's, it's a big responsibility and I think the, the idea was completely born out of Grangetown residents um, coming forward saying this is something we want to achieve and I think a lot of residents have stuck through it. Um, you know, Richard, who did come out with the original idea, is still involved. Um, and you know, th there is a there's a heavy commitment, but I don't think there's an expectation from the, the current board that you're at every meeting, you're at every event. It's you give what you can give. One of the benefits of our board is how diverse it is uh, and the makeup of it. So you've got nine community members. Yes, yeah, so the board is 18 in total yeah. and we have representation from Cardiff and Vale College, Taft Housing, RSPB Cymru, Cardiff and uh, Bay Rotary Club, a number of Grangetown residents, it must be 60% Grangetown residents, that's written into the constitution and then representation from the university as well. Great. And I think that really does make it just such an enjoyable project like Deborah was saying that we can be sociable, we can get on with each other and we can actually deliver. As you can see behind you, yeah. we are delivering on something that was suggested seven years ago. Um, but I think the, the community-led element is extremely important because I've I was raised in Grangetown, uh, and the, the community I see in front of me today is a bit different um, to when I was raised. But it is still a community you do things with. You don't do things to this community. It's a community that doesn't take we're going to come in, we're going to do this. It's always our involvement because we don't want that. We want something different. And that's something I'm extremely proud of in this area is the fact that when it comes down to it, people do roll up their sleeves, get involved and get what they want, essentially, which is extremely difficult at times. I think there's something really important about all the different voices and connecting up with different groups, existing ones and new ones. And really, I don't know, if I try and find an image of it in my head, there's something like it's either like holding water or herding cats or it's it's alive you know a place like a neighborhood where we live it's a place that's it's a thing that's living and so it's always changing isn't it yeah. it's always and it's like there's no point trying to control anything no. <laughs> in a way I mean we need a lot of checks and balances and a lot of really careful planning and consideration and the bottom line is we can't control each other or other people so we have to do it in conversation and out of what we want and what people want and it's really easy to miss out voices yeah, and I think going back to Deborah's point then about the checks and balances, that's the benefit of having those organisations sitting on the boards because they all offer an expertise of some kind. So Taff Housing, the representative uh, from there, Lynn, is the head of finance. So, you know, she's been brilliant at saying, OK, this is how you do it, this is how you do that. And th there's been a lot of challenge, in a sense, back to the community and the university to say, well, is this the best way to go forward? But it's always done in a positive way. If this is my experience, I want you to take it if you want it. Um, and I think we are seriously benefiting from that. You know, if, if we'd sat down in, tw in 2012 or in 2014 when we first rolled the shutters up or in 2016 when we opened the, the old pavilion properly, if, if somebody had flashed this, the vision of this building, this behemoth compared to the old one yeah. in front of us, we would have all run away screaming. 
but we've all worked it's been an incremental journey and every step of that journey we've all we've adapted. stuck together yeah. yeah we've adapted we've been flexible but mm. fundamentally it's it's us doing it and we all want to do it and we want it to succeed and we know um you know that we absolutely have faith that this is going to work because the way people reacted to the old building was phenomenal. The, the pe- way people react to the building going up now is phenomenal. Um, we've just had that positivity right from the start. And I think, you know, if, if you're positive, if you're getting a positive reaction, you, you're going to get there. Um, and the fact that it's, it's a journey that we've all taken together and there's such a great mix of residents, organisational representation, the university's involvement, it just seems to be a very you know, tight group with the, the commitment, the skills, the capacity, the expertise and the desire that's needed to deliver something of this magnitude, really. I'm just going to pick up on the point about hearing different voices. So I think you've been using some quite creative meth- methods to make sure the project's accessible and it reaches all the different communities of Grangetown. Can you tell us a bit more about that? we all look to Ali we all look to Ali absolutely so um, I'm on the ground a lot as part of my role visiting communities engaging with leaders um, uh, as part of the project developed a youth forum uh, and that youth forum again wants to listen and understand to the voices of young people put on activities that they want to um, uh, participate in uh, raise awareness of activities whether at the university that can benefit them also so that group itself is made up of diverse voices and people from different backgrounds uh, good gender balance as well Uh, and, and again you know when I'm reaching out to the, to the various communities, they do come from different backgrounds and languages as well. And if, they, if there are times where we understand they need things or, or like in terms of spaces to meet, and we did, we facilitated a lot of that in the old building. Uh, and and um, since this building now being constructed, we've, we've housed them elsewhere and looked for places for them. So, yeah. you know, that transparency, that engagement, that working together uh, has been really fruitful and, you know, really looking forward to bringing them back into, into the new space. But yeah, you know, uh, translating information I, I can speak a community language so I'm bilingual myself and that helps because you know there are some people, members of the community who can speak English and do struggle so to be able to be bilingual is very important um, if there's a mother who or, or a resident who I see in the community who I, who I can't speak their language but I recognize a young person for our forum who speaks their language I can actually call them over and say hey you know do me a favor uh, translate this to you know this this resident uh, and pass that information on you know so Greyshot is very friendly places and you know, was it just recently it was uh, recorded as the most diverse community yeah, in Wales? In Wales, most diverse so, ward in Wales. You know, that, that is a fantastic thing to have. Uh, all those cultures, all those communities, to celebrate. Uh, yeah, living together, celebrating that. And we've always, always championed the message that this is a space for all. It's probably going to be our strapline, actually. Grange Pavilion, <laughs> a space for all, yes. because that's what it is. Everybody's welcome. There's, there's nobody who's not welcome. Everyone should coexist in harmony and we work very hard to um, express that and to enforce that and we you know we're always inviting people in we've had events like a community eid which has been absolutely fantastic yeah, and we will continue to have those the iftars. Open, yeah iftars we've had winter fairs you know we, we've had loads of activities that are, are just open for all members of the community when I started doing the iftars back in 2015, I think mm. we did the first one, didn't we, Al? Yeah. I, I viewed it as a failure when we did it here because there were about 15, 20 people uh, and three of them were non-Muslims. And someone came over to me and said, but we're all from different communities, we don't break fast together. Uh, and I thought, okay, interesting. 
This year, when we did it, admittedly, at a different location down at St. Patrick's, I would easily say 60, 70 people there. Uh, Absolute diverse communities. And that is all because it was born out of this place. So, you know, this was the first venue that we used for it. And just that openness and that accessibility. And on that note, looking at just when we were having meetings or when there was an event going on, if someone walked in that we hadn't seen before, a member of the project or a member of staff from the university would stop what they were doing just for two seconds and ask the person, did they know what was going on? Did they want to get involved? Someone was always there to welcome you. And Deborah's done it this morning. As I walked across, there were two people reading the information board and Deborah went over and said, do you know what the project is? And had a little chat with them. And I think that has been something, that's been a definite strength for us of actually engaging people because when they do see it, when they do walk in uh, or walk past and someone's here, it's not a mystery anymore is explained to them and that they're given the opportunity to get involved. Yeah. I think in there there's a real combination of curiosity about meeting each other, meeting people and, and getting to know who are you, so who are you? Yeah. Um, and also receptiveness generally I would say that I, I find just being in the park and doing stuff with passers-by, uh, people are up for a chat. I think we've got time for one last question so I'm just huh? going to ask something that I think a lot of organisations that uh, have grants from the lottery or are applying to us uh, would find useful, which is, uh, what would your advice be to other organisations that are seeking to put people in the lead in the development of the community facility? I think what Lynn said earlier on about sticking with it. Go for it. Just go for it. Um, you know, if you've got a group of you that have got a vision, that have got an idea, uh, like Richard started up with a few other residents here, just, just roll with it try and get other people involved you know it doesn't have to stay in the same format like we said we've looked at so many different options for this building from redeveloping the original building to adding on to it to flattening it and building a whole new thing which is what we've done but there was always that flexibility from us so that we could roll with our initial idea of having a space where someone could just grab a cup of coffee have a chat get involved in the activity in this park but it's completely different to what I first envisaged and I'm pretty sure that's true of a lot of people but the fact is as a group, as residents, as Cardiff University, as the other organisations that have supported us, we've just rolled with it. And I think that probably is the best thing we could have done. And test it. That, that yeah, definitely. That taught us so much about, you know, us as a group, about the, the nature of, ha of opening a building in the park, the needs, desires, wants of the community, the uptake. I mean, after those two years, we were certain that we were doing the right thing because, yeah. you know, people, they wanted the building, they used the building. I never thought I would miss that cronky, old, freezing cold, wet, <laughs> awkward little bowl pavilion. But I did. When we closed the doors for redevelopment to not have those activities here in the park, yeah. it was really sad and I can't wait for the new building to be open. So, yeah, test your idea and partnerships. Oh my goodness, partnerships give you capacity, they give you skills, they give you faith, they, they give you encouragement, um, and you know, th you just double your capacity by having a genuine partnership. So yeah, um, go for it, invite people in, test your idea, um, carry on the conversation, it's all about conversations, just keep talking, and um, yeah, if it's raining today, it'll be sunny tomorrow, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, I think we're going we're gonna to stop there. So uh, thank you all so much for coming down today and telling us about this amazing project. And I'm, I'm really excited to see it open its doors as well. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. You've been listening to Third Sector Insights, the knowledge and learning podcast from the National Lottery Community Fund. 
The project you heard about in this episode is one of 11,000 funded every year across the UK with money raised by National Lottery players. To find out more about Grange Pavilion and how you can get involved, you can visit their website at www.grangepavilion.wales. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. Please let us know by leaving us a review, or you can email me your thoughts directly at joshua.coles-riley at tnlcommunityfund.org.uk. Thanks for listening to Third Sector Insights. Keep a lookout for future episodes where we'll continue to talk with third sector organisations and find out what knowledge, learning and insights they're gaining through projects funded by the National Lottery.